Hello, and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we'll be discussing some of the biggest Seinfeld mysteries with our friend Mike. Mike first appeared on our show back when we discussed George's cheapest moments, and we had such a great time with him that we decided to have him back. It's great to see you again, Mike. Well, guys, if, if this is the place to be, then I shall be there, as always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had um, Jennifer Armstrong on last week, and we talked about Seinfeldia, how there's a dimension where Seinfeld lives on forever. You know, Jerry Seinfeld himself moves on, but this one idea of him and all the things that surround him in this world continue to live on. And these Seinfeld mysteries are one of those things. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys today about all the different mysteries that surround Seinfeld. Yeah, when when I was on last time and, and you guys mentioned that you were going to be doing this one at some point, I, I was very excited by the the prospect of that because there's there's just so many that you you talk with uh, your friends over the years, just you know how much was this or you know what would have happened uh, if you know if, if if we got to see what what happened on the next scene when the show cut off, like stuff like that. There's just so many different ways you can go that uh, I'm really excited to see what you guys came up with. Yeah, it's such a fun thought experiment, and it just adds another layer to when you're watching the episode and you go back and you really think about it, and it just keeps everything so fresh and so fun. So we'll let you start off, Mike. What do you have as your first Seinfeld mystery? I, I would imagine this is a popular one, so we'll just get it out of the way uh, right from the right from the top. And it, it's one of the questions I I wonder about most when watching Seinfeld, and of course that's how much was Jerry's jacket? How much did it actually cost? So, yeah. you know, first one I thought of too. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's it's at the top of pretty much everybody's list. But I mean, the, the suede jacket with pink lining uh, that completely changed his life, as he said. You know, he's sitting on the couch wearing the jacket with his flannel pajama pants, just just kind of <laughs> admiring the jacket. So, all we really know for sure is that it's over three hundred dollars, and most likely over four hundred dollars. But that's where Jerry kind of stops confirming or denying. And starts giving the silent treatment when he's asked. You know, I'd rather not say it out loud. It's embarrassing. <laughs> so, but based on Elaine's, you know, oh my God reaction and, and Kramer's whoa Nelly, we know it's it's a ridiculous amount of money. So I actually did a quick Google search just out of curiosity to see what what the pricing is like today. And I saw one suede jacket uh, for men that was it was close to a thousand dollars. I don't think it would be as expensive when Jerry bought his in like the late eighties, early nineties, whatever it was. So, so my guess has always been that Jerry spent around like $700 on the jacket. I think that's enough where it's not like a crazy ridiculous amount, but it's enough to like shock your friends as it did with, with uh, Elaine and Kramer and, and George is going crazy trying to, trying to figure out what it costs. So, so what, how much do you guys think it costs? Well, Kramer guesses 400 and then he looks at the tag and he goes, Whoa, Nelson. <laughs> so we know it's definitely higher than 400. Uh, I, I I kind of agree with what you're saying. I sort of thought like 750, maybe 799, something like that. Um, by the way, I also love that George is the only one who doesn't know the price. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's right. And he's the one who wants to know more than anybody. Right. Can I say something? And I say this with an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality. It looks fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a feeling it's a little bit higher than 700, but a, like under a thousand maybe, just because 
when George specifically says, oh, my God, you paid over $1,000 for this jacket? And Jerry's just smirking that I don't think he actually paid that much, but he wants to give George the impression that he paid, like, some, exor- you know, thousands and thousands of dollars for this jacket. But in the 90s, at like, a high-end shop in New York City, maybe, like, eight or $900. Yeah, I could see that. I'm walking out of here right now thinking you paid $1,000 for this jacket unless you tell me different. <laughs> <laughs> Another big mystery I have on my list is the apple pie. Yep. Um, Audrey not tasting the apple pie. This kind of drives me crazy every time I watch it just because of how she reacts to him just asking if she, if she wants a piece of pie. She seems like almost disturbed. If you go back and watch the scene, I think it has something to do with Jerry and she doesn't want to tell him. You know, the first scene, the apple pie isn't on the table. I've noticed that when we first cut to the scene. there's no apple pie yet. Then Jerry goes, ah, apple pie, best apple pie in the city. So I'm assuming that the waitress brought it over. But the only thing I can think of in my head is that before the waitress brings over the apple pie, maybe she was in the bathroom. She came out of the bathroom and, and saw the apple pie on the counter in the coffee shop and something happened to it. And she didn't realize that Jerry ordered it. Or when the waitress brings the apple pie to the table, maybe Jerry spits on it or something. When he goes like, oh, apple pie, best apple pie in the city. Like maybe she saw a piece of spit come out and land on the pie, and she was just totally grossed out. It was the only two things I could think of. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring this up because I've actually heard a much deeper interpretation of this, and I believe I have to give credit to Seincast for thinking of this, but it was a really interesting kind of dark theory. So the woman that plays Audrey, as we know, is the same woman that was Ava in the limo in the back of the limo with Jerry, you know, the neo-Nazi rally. And there's a theory that she's the same woman. She's Ava, but she had to go through some deprogramming to get through the brainwashing of, you know, being in this, (laughs) this, you know, supremacist cult. And she, (laughs) and, you know, then now she, like a couple years later, she's being reintroduced into society. Jerry happens to meet her and, you know, he just, meets a different girl every week and you know, he doesn't think anything of it He's like oh she kind of looks like somebody i know then maybe i met her at a comedy club or something and perhaps there's just something about maybe him offering the apple pie or there's just something about sharing the food or something that kind of like triggers her memory and it's like well oh this this just makes me feel uncomfortable for some reason i don't like this like she's remembering some long suppressed memory and, and being in the presence of Jerry. And it's just because she gets very, very defensive yeah. whenever, whenever Jerry asks about it, she, and it's, it's a, you know, kind of a inane question. And even in Poppy's restaurant, she's, he's like, Oh, I see they have apple pie. And she's like, Oh, mm-hmm. and then later, she's like, oh, what are you doing here? You know? So it's just, well, also we know she tasted the apple pie at Monk's. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's eating an apple pie by herself. So, I always just thought, like, because the stories always come together at the end, that whatever, what happened to Jerry with Poppy in the bathroom or what happened to George with the chef, you know, in the restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah. uh, If you're one of us, you'll take a bite. (laughs) I just feel like something similar happened to Audrey. So that's kind of my take on it. I don't know if you have anything to add, Mike. I know we kind of said a lot, but. Yeah, I always kind of just felt like it was kind of a full circle thing where she saw the apple pie get contaminated in some way. And didn't want to eat it and for some reason didn't want to tell Jerry exactly what happened or, or why she wouldn't. But, I mean, it's odd for sure, but she, she kind of acts like 
she had some kind of traumatic childhood experience with apple pie and just refuses <laughs> to eat it. Like she just sitting there nodding her head like a like a psycho. But again, Jerry kind of did the same thing and just didn't want to tell her right. the real reason why. So obviously there's something that happened, some reason she doesn't want to share it with him and 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 that's what happened. So I I love when Jerry goes over to the woman and he's like, I noticed you offered your pie and you, you waved it away. You give a reason. She said she was full. Oh, you gave a reason. You didn't just shake your head. No, I'm not a psycho. <laughs> You're not a psycho. Well, I think we determined who the psycho is. Yeah, we certainly have. <laughs> so another mystery that I definitely want to bring up that's along the same line that I think is a popular one is why does Jerry's girlfriend, Christy, the one who wore the black and white dress, the same dress all the time to their dates, and Jerry didn't know if she owned any other clothes. Uh, what what are your theories on that? Well, it was three days before encounters, right? When he's talking to George in the coffee shop. Yeah. So George suggests you maybe you caught her on the cusp of a new wash cycle. But shouldn't it re-enter on the same time from the cycle? <laughs> maybe she moved it up in the rotation. <laughs> it's our first date. She's already in reruns. <laughs> no, Einstein wore the same outfit every day. Well, if she splits the atom, I let it slide. <laughs> i just love when they're out to the restaurant you know i'm just a little worn out i know exactly <laughs> what you mean oh, i'm sure you do <laughs> what do you think mike what's your theory on that after that i just think everybody kind of has their go-to outfit when when you go out you know they, you have that favorite shirt favorite pair of pants whatever it is and and she obviously really liked that that black and white dress and bought maybe five or six of them and whenever she uh she has a big night out that that's her go-to but she didn't shouldn't expect Jerry to pick up on it so quickly, I guess. Or I was going to say another thing that it might be is that, you know, women might wear different outfit combinations of like black tops and white skirts and rompers and whatever they wear. But to a guy, it's like you wouldn't necessarily notice the differences at first if they're subtle. So Jerry right. just thinks she's wearing the same thing all the time, even though it's just these subtle changes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just picture a, like like Jerry says a closet full, just like five of them hanging next to each other. <laughs> like Superman. Doesn't have a lot of time to wear it, so you just have a fresh one like every, every day of the week if you really needed it. So that's what I envision. <laughs> when she spills the wine on her, I, is it okay if I go home and change? Change? Yes, I think that's a super idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, put something else on. It's early. Let's go out. <laughs> August seventeenth, nineteen ninety-two. <laughs> Same dress. <laughs> don't hang up on me why do you wear the same dress all the time no <laughs> i love that last bit of desperation where he actually thinks she'll change your mind at the last second explain it <laughs> it's amazing another huge mystery on the show is bob sacamano i mean yes where do we start with him <laughs> just i think his first episode was in the heart attack and kramer says that bob sacamano went into the hospital for a hernia operation and due to the malpractice, now he sits in a chair by a window repeating, my name is Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and in the fix up, um, Kramer says that Bob Sacramento got a job at a condom factory in Edison. Yeah. And Jerry's, oh, yeah, the guy from Jersey. So it's kind of interesting. They say that Bob lives in Jersey. So. Yeah. And Kramer reveals that Bob Sacramento once was in a mental institution. We also know that Bob Sacramento's father also lives in Del Boca Vista. It's true, yeah. Sacramento Sr. screwed me. <laughs> Sounds like Bob Sacramento has had a very interesting life. 
<laughs> one, one of my favorite one of my favorite Sacramento references is when in the chicken roaster when Jerry stays at Kramer's. He's like, My friend Bob Sacramento called. Like and Elaine's like, I thought it was Kramer's friend. Yeah, well he called last night. We got to talking. <laughs> but I actually this was one of my um he kind of relates into one of the mysteries I was gonna mention and it kind of ties a few in together. There there are a few Seinfeld characters whose appearance in the show remains a mystery throughout. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to combine all those into one into one question to ask you guys. So if you could see one person or one character, which would it be? And here are your choices. The bubble boy, the pig man, Tony after the bandages are off, Audrey after her nose job, Bob Sacamano, or the ugly baby. Which one would you choose? I would definitely go with Bob Sacamano, for sure. Interesting. Well, we do see Audrey after her nose job, though. I mean, after the first nose job, the one that the one oh, the one, oh, the botch nose yeah. job. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to see the ugly baby just because it has my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ugly baby was my choice too. That was at the top of the the power rankings only because for for it to cause that reaction from Jerry and Elaine and Kramer, like what what does this baby look like to to have that type of reaction where you can't even really eat around it because it's so ugly. Although one person I would really love to meet is Lomez because he yeah. has like a Hispanic last name, but he's an Orthodox Jew. <laughs> and doesn't Lomez make an appearance in the Porter potty? You just never actually see him. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And left, like, yeah Kramer's just like banging on the door. Betrayal. Yeah. <laughs> Lomez, I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. It's the closest we got to seeing, seeing Lomez. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking, sorry, I just wanted to, um, I was kind of thinking about all of, the other great names that we hear when my friend Len Nicodemo had the gout, I moved into his hospital bed, his hospital room for three weeks. The doctors were amazed at his recovery. <laughs> <laughs> my friend Jay Riemann Schneider eats horse all the time, gets it from his butcher. <laughs> you know, you sure do have a lot of friends. How come I never see them? They want to know why they never see you. <laughs> but going back to Bob Sacramento for a second, just, uh, he also had rabies. I mean, this guy went through a lot. That's right. <laughs> And I put the question out on my Seinfeld page on Seinfeld Guy. I said, you know, what are some of the biggest Seinfeld mysteries just to see what some people would say? And I got a creepy response, actually, about Bob Sacamano. And, and it said um, that he doesn't actually exist, that he's a figment of Kramer's imagination and that Kramer was in a mental institution. <laughs> that is deep. That sounds that, like a that, Netflix series or something. That, yeah. That's deep. But then I thought about it and. Like we mentioned before, you know, Jerry talks to Bob Sacamano in the chicken roaster. And also we hear about Sacamano Sr. in The Wizard. So while that was very creative yeah. response and very <laughs> creepy, uh, I do think he exists. So <laughs> we could say heard. before Larry David left, it's possible that Bob Sacamano was a figment of Kramer's imagination. <laughs> possible. Okay, so this one's kind of like a, a bigger picture mystery rather than like one one specific incident. But how does Kramer make money? So he, um, he has he has a Manhattan apartment in the same building as Jerry, who who seemingly makes good money. Yet we know very little about Kramer's job situation or, or how he really if he inherited money or whatever whatever the case might have been. He's been on strike from H and H Bagels for like 20 years. <laughs> So at one point, George says Kramer falls ass backwards into money. And Kramer has that one line where I think it's George is looking for change. And Kramer's like, 
I only got hundreds. So obviously he has he has money of some kind, but he's always trying to make money with these get rich quick schemes. Like you know whether it's the lawsuit with the tobacco company or he's after the uh, the heir of the O Henry candy bar fortune or he's suing Java World because the coffee's too hot or just like inventing things like the bro or the beach perfume, the coffee table book or 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 teaming up with Newman for the bottle deposit plan. Like he's always trying to make money. And he has all these different schemes to make money, but none of them ever seem to work out. And yet he's still paying his bills. He's still going out. He's, you know, he doesn't really need food because he takes it from Jerry. Um, but he's had a few odd jobs along the way. He's like the stand-in and, and filling in seats at the Tonys and the, the mall Santa Claus and stuff, but nothing long-term, nothing high paying. So, so how do you guys think Kramer is, is living day to day and paying his bills? Well, when he says that Kramer fell ass backwards into money, I'm not exactly sure what that means. Did he inherit a lot of money from someone? Uh, That seems like something that George knows about that we don't. So I'd like to know more about that statement. Yeah, Yeah. it it seems that way. And we don't know anything about Kramer's father. Like we know Babs and she doesn't come off as wealthy, really. So Mm -hmm. uh, unless something came from his father, which I guess is very possible, but... There's also the possibility that Babs, maybe there was some sort of lawsuit and, you know, one of her suitors, something happened and, you know, and she got some money and Kramer got some money. Um, another thing that I think of is that, I mean, it's kind of sad, but like maybe Kramer is possibly a widower and that he married this rich woman because he, in the letter, he talks about hopping a steamship to Sweden. It was a big one. And um, possibly he met somebody over there, you know, some wealthy Nordic woman who was older than he was and got married. And, you know, she left him all kinds of money in her will. And then he came back to the States with it. And then in season seven in the engagement, you know, talking about marriage, the prisons, you know, Mm man-made prisons, you're doing time. And he's speaking from experience. It seems like he's speaking from the heart, you know, even though. Maybe he loved this woman and he was with her for a few years and couldn't take it anymore. It's too much. It's too much. Then he joined the army and was kicked out. You just blew my mind. <laughs> but but seeing how how Sue happy Kramer is, I, I I feel like there's there was a lawsuit somewhere along the way where you know whether it was Jackie that that got him a nice uh, handout or something like I think he made some money that way. Or we know he used to have a problem, so he could have won big at the casino one night, or, or yeah. you know, betting on a sporting event, something like that. Yeah, how mu- and he, how much did uh, Calvin Klein pay him for doing those underwear ads? Maybe he, he socked some of that the money away. The, uh, he did sell the movie rights to the the coffee table book, didn't he? Did yeah, he had money from that. I just love the um, I love the stark contrast though, because like you said, you know, uh, in in the mango, he said, "Oh, I only got hundreds." But then later in the reverse people, it's, oh, got to keep the big bills on the outside. It's yeah. Five. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Another one of my absolute favorites is at the end of the seven, when Newman has the girl's bike, has the Schwinn Stingray. <laughs> and Kramer, this is Kramer's hard up for cash. 50 bucks. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> I love how Kramer takes anything. You know, he'll take anything you offer him. He'll take it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Jerry's old jacket. Going tying it back to the uh, yeah. our first mystery, he wants that that old leather jacket so bad, and he doesn't even give it back when Jerry's other one gets ruined. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that his apartment might not be his. 
It might belong to someone else. Like he's renting? Yeah, or or just he was living with someone and then maybe that person moved or, or I feel like maybe he just kind of came came across that apartment in some yeah. ways. Maybe he lived with someone there. I don't know. He practically raised Jim Fowler's kids, so maybe they lived with him. <laughs> <laughs> Another oh, interesting sorry. point about the um, the apartment is that Jerry does mention at one point that it's a rent-controlled building because when he offers the upstairs apartment to Elaine, it was I think it was like $300 a month. It was something really low for New York City. Yeah. So maybe Kramer is in, you know, has a rent-controlled apartment where he's only paying a few hundred dollars a month, so that that might help with his, uh, you know, not not being employed. That's true. And I think we also have to look at the real Kramer too, Kenny Kramer and see how he lived in his apartment. I don't think, I think that's an apartment building that does the city pay the actors to live there or it's am I getting that wrong? It, it, yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's subsidized by the city. So, you know, you, you do pay, but you're right. You might only pay you know, a few hundred bucks a month or something if you're an artist. But right. so maybe Kramer was able to say that he was an artist or something. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? He was but, a writer, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Also, his apartment is a little bit of a mystery. Like sometimes there's that wall there when he opens up the door. And then uh, in that scene, when you uh, look through the reverse peephole, you see the couch. And so I'm not really sure exactly what his apartment looks like. I know that's kind of the point. Um, you know, he has a hot tub in there. <laughs> hot tub, but no running water. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't ask those kind of questions anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how, how Kramer and Jerry's apartments are so completely different, yet they're right across from each other. Like, you walk into Jerry's, it's wide open, and Kramer's it almost looks like it's, he's in, a, like, a hallway, like his living room. It's, it's weird. It also may or may not contain a chicken, too. <laughs> <laughs> With Darren's help, we'll get that chicken. <laughs> Another mystery I wanted to bring up is Uncle Leo's crime of passion. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to, to hear your guys' thoughts about that. I mean, any I – mean, what could that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, so at the end of the doodle, there's that fantastic scene where Elaine enters the trashed hotel room and she asks if anybody's there. And Uncle Leo walks out in his robe and says, I thought they were sending over an Asian woman. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps Uncle Leo fought in the war and was in the Pacific Theater and he fell in love with an Asian woman, you know, a Japanese woman or somebody, somebody over there or a Korean woman in the Korean War. And perhaps he took out vengeance for her love or did something that got him in trouble, got him court-martialed and sent back to the States. And that was his crime of passion. It's an interesting and that's theory. Why he I, has, I, yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, that's why he has... Yeah, the Asian bias, I guess you could say. <laughs> it's an interesting theory because I always I, I thought it was always interesting that Jerry's mom is just like, just leave it alone. It's, you know, it's a crime <laughs> of passion. She kind of just like sloughs it off, you know. That's uh, true. And also um, when they talk about Uncle Leo getting the money from their father, you know, he won a thousand dollars at the track and Leo was supposed to get was supposed to give fifty dollars to Helen. And Helen doesn't even remember. She doesn't even really care. But. It turns into like this big thing. <laughs> but Leo does say, you know, anyone betrays me, I never forget. So <laughs> may, maybe someone betrayed him and yeah. he, uh, yeah, interesting. He does have a dark side and he is, he is a shoplifter. We do know that. So maybe all these things tie together, but yeah, that's a, that's a good one though. Cause that, a lot of different ways that one could go, but we won't, we won't touch on too many cause the Alex is a family theater. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just one more thing, too, is that you also see Uncle Leo is very loyal to Nana. He's very loyal to his mother. You know, she's on a very fixed income. Stop the show. <laughs> so perhaps it's something to do with, you know, taking vengeance for his mother. Could be. Also, we never meet Stella again after the pen. Yeah. And Aunt Stella. She's a mystery. Stella. <laughs> Stella. Her back hurts. <laughs> okay, so who did Dr. Pfeffer think was actually breathtaking? Was it Elaine <laughs> or was it the ugly baby? Because he, he calls Elaine breathtaking and then calls the ugly baby breathtaking. And Elaine tries confronting him about it. Now, some ugly baby, huh? And he, <laughs> and he seems like genuinely shocked when he thinks that he hears her call the baby ugly. Like he seems like taken back by it. And then she switches it up to, to snuggly baby. Um, but based on his reaction there, it, it kind of makes me think that when he says, oh, you know, Elaine, sometimes you say a thing like that just to be nice. Like, he, he, I think I think he means he was only being nice to Elaine based on his reaction to her comment. So, so the scene ends right there. And I always wonder what Elaine's next line was. Like, does she continue yeah. pressing him about it? Does he keep trying to get it out of him? Um, and the next morning, she's still cl- clearly very mad about it, you know, especially when he says, the whole breakfast is breathtaking. <laughs> and then just gives him that, that death stare as she's eating yeah. a piece of fruit. So, and so he's I not phased what was in that, the least by he's not phased in the least by her like by him saying, Oh, the whole breakfast is breathtaking. He just looks at the newspaper. He doesn't care what Elaine yeah, thinks at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, so I wonder who it was that Dr. Pfeffer truly thought was breathtaking, whether it was Elaine or the ugly baby and and the parents don't recognize that it's an ugly baby, so maybe the baby's pediatrician doesn't recognize it either. So, is it possible she's not as attractive as she thinks she is? <laughs> Anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, like he says, sometimes you say something like that just to be nice, and yeah, you wonder if. He, but at the same time, why say anything at all? Why not just say, "Oh, hi, nice to meet you," and that's it. And um, you know, you can, or you could say like, oh, the baby's breathtaking and then use another adjective to describe Elaine, you know, if you're really interested. And, and when Carol says to him, oh, you know, Ben, you stay in the night tonight. He seems like, oh, okay. You know, he seems up for it. But then again, maybe it's just to stay at the house in the Hamptons. <laughs> I've never been called breathtaking either. <laughs> the more I think about it, I might have to change my answer to your question. I think I want to see that ugly baby. <laughs> He's on board. Is that that the, the, the ugly baby takes the sweep with the three of us. <laughs> um, so one that I thought of recently is what did Susan ever see in George? And also like talking about how did George get some of these women that he dated? Because some of them seemed like, okay, they're more realistic. But then there were others, you know, he dated a model for crying out loud, you know, but what did Susan, you know, cause Susan seemed like, you know, she was a smart woman. She was tough and you know, it's not like she needed to be with somebody, especially not George. And she just, you know, like dated him and became a lesbian and then it didn't take and then decides to get engaged to him. And, you know, she was more excited and more ready for the wedding than he was for sure. So, yeah. So, like, I just wanted to know, like, what your guys' thoughts were on that and his dating in general. I always wondered that with George and Susan until we meet her parents. I think once we once we meet Susan's parents, I think everything makes sense. You start to understand why she's with George and and just I mean, those parents are 
you know, they're not quite the Costanzas, but they're <laughs> definitely they're out of their minds too. Um, well, they're like the Costanzas of Park Avenue. Right, exactly. They're like the upper crust Costanzas, yeah. But I just felt like when I when we first met her parents, I was like, oh, this makes sense now. I I see why Susan is with George. You know, <laughs> that was my take. Yeah, honestly, I feel like every pretty much every girl George has ever dated, I've wondered what they really see in him because he's he's not a great boyfriend. He's he's got a short fuse. He's he's cheap. You know, he's, he he doesn't really have too many redeeming qualities that you would that uh, you would think a woman would see in in, in a potential boyfriend or husband. So. I honestly, I don't know. I, I can't even answer that question because there's not too many things where you look at George and think, wow, he's he's a really good boyfriend. That's a, that's a, a woman that, that women would be attracted to. But yet he gets beautiful women. He's, he's had a bunch of different girlfriends that were that were a good catch for him. And it's 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 a true mystery. Yeah, and they really seemed happy to be with him. You know, they enjoyed it. Like when we see Karen, the risotto broad for the second time, you know, she's laughing at everything he's saying. And he's like, oh, learned a lot about you tonight, George. And she seems so into him and he just completely ruins it. <laughs> he's the funny one, El Clowno. <laughs> <laughs> one of the big responses I got on my Instagram page, which I think we all kind of know this, but it's it was, uh, did Ray steal the statue? Which... I wanted to bring this up, yeah pretty positive that he did yeah the evidence i feel is pretty strong that that he did so yeah the evidence is pretty strong i agree but somewhere in the back of my head there's always a part of me that says i was thinking about this today too there's always a part of me that says maybe george was just lying and he did take the statue from jerry's apartment afterwards and he broke it or he lost it and just didn't want anybody to say anything, so he just went along with the lie. Because I could totally see him doing that. And I mean, I know yeah. it's a little bit of a stretch, but for some reason, like I always think of, you know, the the characters being more horrible than like like the main four being more horrible than the people that are the side characters. <laughs> to me, it was just always too coincidental that this pretty unique statue was in Jerry's apartment, and then. This guy comes in, he's there by himself, and then he just so happens to have the same statue, the same exact one at his apartment. So right. it was always too coincidental for me to even consider that he really didn't steal it. And George is just like, he's so angry about it that I, I think it's just, I, I don't think he would have schemed that much to, to kind of cover it up. I think I think if he broke it, he would say he broke it, and, that, and then he would still try to get it from from Ray in some in some ways. So. There are no big coincidences and small coincidences, only coincidences. <laughs> Another one that people brought up on my page, which uh, I think we definitely know he took it, was um, did Tom Pepper take the raisins? Which oh, yeah. we, we actually see him take the raisins in the scene, yeah. and then we see him eating them later on. I think the bigger question is, why did he take the raisins in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Why would you risk not getting a job over a box of raisins that you could pay $2 for at a supermarket? And I thought about this, and my take is that it's a comment on actors and how strange they can be. You know, by this point, Larry and Jerry were four full seasons into the show, and they worked with actors like Michael Richards. I mean, we all love Michael Richards, but he can be very method and very serious and, and difficult to work with at times. And I actually heard a great story about him. He met with the Fairley brothers to be in their movie Kingpin. Not sure what role it was for, but they had a meeting together and they had a bit of a disagreement 
I'm not sure what it was about. But then Michael Richards asked to use the bathroom. He goes in the bathroom. He's in there for a minute. Then it's five minutes. Then it's 10 minutes. Then it's 20 minutes. They start getting a little nervous. So they're like, what do we do? They knock on the door. They're like, Michael, are you in there? No response. So now it's like a half hour has gone by. And they're like, we're going to have to break the door down. I mean, this could be an emergency. So they get something from the room. They bang the door off the hinges. Michael's not in there. He went out the window. Oh, my God. (laughs) So when you hear stories like that, you know, Tom Pepper taking the raisins doesn't seem so crazy. (laughs) Why would he go out the door? The window's right here. (laughs) Yeah, and I was just about to say, too, that it seems like it's a little bit of maybe a meta joke that he's being really method and thinking that that's something that Kramer would actually do. Mm-hmm. Or if Kramer were to not audition for something, he would take a box of raisins just because. Right. So moving on, how much do you think Jerry's check was in the Cadillac? Ooh, that's a good one. When he buys the Cadillac for his parents. I always figured it was like over six figures and that it was like this really big break for Jerry that he played like this really big event and that they paid him really well. Maybe he was the headliner because it seems like it was this once in a lifetime thing. And it comes a little bit later in his career, you know, season seven. And I, well, I love the line too, where he's just like, I was thinking about donating a large portion of it to charity. Oh really? No, <laughs> <laughs> but to buy a fully loaded Cadillac, even back then, you know, it was probably like 30, 40, 50 grand for what he got. And, you know, it doesn't seem to even phase him to pay that. So, you know, maybe that was like half of it or something. I always thought his check was 20000 because the Kelly Blue Book value was 22000 So I always kind of thought like he, he, you know, used the entire check towards the Cadillac and maybe used some money of his own. But um, I don't know. That was kind of my thought process. Yeah, I always thought the same, kind of in the, in the twenty, thirty thousand dollar range, kind of like what the price of a a high end car would have cost back in the day. But th- these are some of my favorite questions, the ones where how much is something when we don't know exactly what it is, and it's been talked about so many times. Like another of my favorites is how much was George paid as a hand model? How much was that one that oh, one yeah. gig that he did? That's a, that's a so, good one. Yeah, the other thing I was going to say about Jerry's check is the fact that you see him like counting out all this cash and he's he's kind of flaunting it. He's like, you know, okay, oh, and Elaine's watching him count and Elaine sees how much it is and she's just instantly turned on. So that's why I was thinking it's like, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it's like this this amount of money that, you know, none of them have ever really seen before all at once. Well, one I wanted to bring up is um, also in the Cadillac. How did Elaine's friend know Marissa Tomei? Uh, do you guys have any theories about that? Or The only thing I could think of is like maybe she's a family friend or something, something like that. She doesn't seem like she's an actress, so she wouldn't know her from film or anything like that. Yeah, maybe just like high school friends before Marissa Tomei really made it big. Like they just knew yeah. each other going back and, and maintain this relationship even after she became a big star. The biggest, the bigger mystery is why is Marissa Tomei into short, stocky, bald men? Yeah. <laughs> I noticed he added stocky in there. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? How is it a man like you, so bald, so quirky and funny? How is it you're not taken? 
loves bald. <laughs> loves bald. <laughs> I could be dating an Oscar winner, Jerry. An Oscar winner. <laughs> well, I have the funeral uh, this weekend, but after that, I'm wide open. <laughs> so while on the topic of George, here's another one for him. What was George's comeback after the jerk store incident? So he, he he goes through the whole the ocean cold incident, and then George goes all the way to Ohio just to propose snow tire day at Yankee Stadium so get, he could have an opportunity to to use this comeback at this guy Riley. So so then after that kind of blows up in his face, he flies back to New York and you see him driving home from the airport and he's still thinking of other comebacks for this. You know the life support machine called for like the, the guy the guy's wife is in a coma. And then all of a sudden he figures it out and he, and he violently turns the car around like he's going straight back to catch a flight back to Ohio. So we never find out what the line actually was this time. Uh, but whatever it was, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't very good. <laughs> well, it couldn't have been as good of a line as Jerk Store. <laughs> smart line and a smart crowd will appreciate it. I always thought that maybe he went through the same exact thing again. You know, we, we they got to the coma part. His wife is in a coma, and then maybe George says she's better off. because <laughs> yeah, it, it it does seem to have something to do with his wife, who who is yeah. actually in a coma. So it's like right. it, it just it doesn't seem like it's going to end well for George. Definitely not. Or I had sex with her anyway. <laughs> um, another one I wanted to bring up too is uh, in the phone message talking about sex. Um, did coffee really mean coffee, or was she speaking in code and trying to invite George up for quote unquote coffee? She seemed really sweet in that episode. She was a really sweet girlfriend. I think maybe she did mean coffee, and if that led to something else, fine. But um, I don't think it only meant sex. I, I just think she wanted to spend more time with George. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I have always thought it it pretty much meant meant sex. You know. The only people who have coffee that hour are people who work at NORAD who are on 24-hour missile watch. <laughs> Another one I have is, why did everyone think Jerry's girlfriend, Ellen, was such a loser? Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Um, that's another pure unsolved. Like, I still have no idea what the reasoning was, because on the surface, she's a pretty girl, smart girl, sweet girl. Like She has everything you would want. In, in a girlfriend, and yet everybody sees something that Jerry doesn't see, and I, I sure as hell don't see it. I, I still don't know what it is to this day. My only thought is that, like Jerry says in The Sponge, I think, she's too good. You know, it's just everything mm. about her is good. Uh, that's why Jerry's parents like her so much, and that's when Jerry's like, wait, now I'm not so sure, you know? Right, he's um, questioning it. But what I really don't understand is George and Kramer, I mean, they walk in the coffee shop, they don't even say a word to her, they just freeze. <laughs> Like, what did she and, do to them? Right, and and but even her friends are like, oh, it is so nice of you to take her out. They treat her like this, like, like yeah. I don't know, like this wounded animal. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird that Kramer and George just kind of see it, almost like it's a physical thing. Like yeah. it's not, it's nothing to do with our personality. It's just, I don't know. This is like that Twilight Zone where the guy wakes up and he's the same, and everyone else is different. Which one? They were all like that. <laughs> It's a great line. I also love that that like mini George and Kramer intervention with with Jerry after that incident. <laughs> I like the Bloomingdale's executive training program for him. But we said we yes. weren't going to discuss that. 
but that was not the time. <laughs> um, another one that I love is uh, wh- why did the doorman dislike Jerry or like have, seem to have it out for Jerry? Oh well, yeah, did he set him up? Yeah. He's probably having a good laugh about it with his doorman buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't even want the couch? <laughs> nah, I was just messing with his head. <laughs> <laughs> Because you do see it like when when Jerry gets the hat and he sort of takes on the, he starts to take on the personality, you know, like, hey, how about those Knicks? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that guy just uh, opened too many doors that day and didn't didn't get enough thank yous and he kind of took it out on Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But then he just why would he go through that whole elaborate plan of having him sign for the package? <laughs> have the council like, <laughs> diabolical. <laughs> He was out to get him for some reason, for sure. <laughs> Another one I wanted to bring up is, did Jerry kill Manya? Oh. Manya died. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't make up for killing her. <laughs> if you're a spirit and you can travel to other dimensions and galaxies and find out the mysteries of the universe, you think she's going to want to hang out at Drexel's funeral home on Ocean Parkway? <laughs> <laughs> George, I met this woman. She's not traveling to any alternate dimensions. <laughs> Here's another one I throw out. How, how did the feud between Jerry and Newman actually begin? I had that too. Yeah, where did that animosity come from? Yeah, like like Jerry calls Newman his sworn enemy. He tries to get him, uh, you know, help him get transferred to Hawaii just so he could be nowhere near his home. And Newman says the next millennium has to be Jerry free. Like those are pretty <laughs> strong statements that they make. And like we know they don't like each other. We know they once made a brief alliance, but we don't know how that rivalry kind of started like what, what caused it? Yeah. Cause in the suicide, um, Jerry just kind of says, Oh, big mouth Newman. And it just seems like Newman's this troublemaker that for some reason just wants to see Jerry sort of suffer, but he's also kind of being semi loyal to Martin at the same time where can, he can kind of use that as an excuse. So I have two theories with Jerry and Newman. The first is, you know how when you're friends with someone, but you just can't be friends with their friend, you know, it's like, you and this other person, you're, you're both friends with this one person, but for whatever reason, you just can't get along with them. That's kind of my thought process with Jerry and Newman. And the other is, and this is a little deeper, I think on some level, Jerry might think that Newman is responsible for him and Elaine breaking up. Like maybe he said something to Kramer or maybe he said something to Elaine like way, way back in the day. I have some theories about this. Like maybe he went through her mail because he does say in the reverse peephole, you know, if this is about me opening your mail, I never did. You know, anything I had was already open. (laughs) So maybe Jerry suspects that he somehow is responsible for Elaine breaking up with him or or the two of them breaking up. But he can't really put his finger on what exactly it is. He just knows he has a big mouth. Um, Jerry also has a lot of jokes and quips and remarks about the post office in his stand up. So possibly one night, maybe Kramer said to New, you know, Newman didn't even know who Jerry was. And Kramer said, hey, you know, let's go see my buddy do the stand-up show. we got to go support him. And he saw, you know, the thing about, uh, oh, what, you know, putting the, the criminal's picture up in the post office is one of the wildly optimistic crime-fighting ideas. And Newman got offended at it and said that, you know, I don't, I don't like this guy making fun of my profession. And that was it. And he just has such a fierce loyalty to the post office that he can't handle it. Because we do also, going back to the other thing I said, because we do find out eventually that Newman's in love with Elaine. So 
<laughs> maybe just the combination of him being in love with Elaine, maybe Jerry being suspicious of him in some way. I don't know. I just always thought maybe that was one of the reasons. Perhaps there's more to Newman than meets the eye. <laughs> no, there's less. <laughs> I've looked into his eyes. He's pure evil. <laughs> and now Newman, do you do you think Newman is his first name or do we just not know his first name? I, yeah, I was wondering about that, too, what your theory was. I feel like he has one name because on his business card, it just says Newman. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and he doesn't want – maybe his name is Newman Newman. <laughs> he just doesn't want, doesn't want people to know. Or maybe he really hated his first name and just goes by his his last name, or maybe he never knew his first name. Uh, we do hear that girl in the bottle deposit say Norman, but we know that was a mistake. <laughs> Goodbye, <Right>. Norman. <laughs> That's great. Everything okay here, postal employee Newman? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, too, Newman has quite a turnaround because in The Revenge, you know, he's suicidal. And, and Kramer's like, oh, you know, no job, no woman. I called the right guy. And, um, you know, he, and, you know, he's kind of like Kramer says, he's faking it. And then they have the little thing. But then by the third season, you find out or by the fourth season, excuse me, you find out, um, you know, oh, I'm a United States postal worker. You know? Yeah. So in a couple of years, he got his life turned around. So. And, and another mystery when it comes to Newman is. How did the chunky rappers get in Jerry's couch? Because you know Jerry's not inviting him over, so you would have to think that Kramer invites Newman over to Jerry's house when Jerry's not there, and they right. just kind of like hang out in his apartment when when he's not home. Exactly, and I'm sure Jerry just assumes it at that point. Yeah, well, yeah. we we see him catch them a few times. You know, he walks in, he's like, "Oh, hey, fellas, can I fix you some drinks and sandwiches?" <laughs> we already ate, but you can clear some of this stuff out of the way. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Another one I was thinking about. This is very random, but who is that picture in Elaine's apartment of? There's a picture of a woman right behind her couch on the table. I always wonder, like, is that Grandma Memma, maybe? <laughs> yeah, it definitely looks like a, a grandmother when she was younger or something, like from the yeah. like, 1940s or 50s. That's what the kind of tone of the picture looks like. No, I was going to say, um, another one I thought of is... What did George exactly do with the Yankees? We never really figure it out because there's always these vague little things. But when, you know, in the summer of George, after he gets fired, Jerry's like, ah, you know, you took him to the World Series. I got to give most of the players most of the credit for that. I made all those hotel rooms, all those buses, arrangements. No, I don't know who did that. <laughs> so what exactly did you do there? I tell you, they got a pastry card over there. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, I'm in and on my personnel file at work all the time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, speaking of the Yankees, what was the project that Wilhelm gave him? Oh, right. That's what I was about to say. And what was he supposed to do downtown? Yeah. It's all downtown, George. You've got to go downtown. Just like the song. Don't hang around and let your troubles surround you. There are movie shows. (laughs) And also, what did Wilhelm do that, like, made them send him, (laughs) made Steinbrenner send him to the Nuthouse? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, like what? Yeah, what was in that report, or what was supposed to be in there? Like, like what could he have possibly done? <laughs> One of my favorite George lines when it comes to the Yankees is, uh, you, "Do you want to talk about hotels, or do you want to win some ball games?" <laughs> we won the World Series, six games. <laughs> Here's a good one. What did Sandra say to Jerry in the Cheever letters? 
when he replied with, you mean the panties your mother laid out for you? (laughs) Remember, he whispers it to George at Monk's and he squirts the ketchup. That is dirty. That (laughs) is absolutely filthy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, well, as Jerry says, then she starts talking about her panties. I'm going to need some water here. (laughs) (laughs) So she was probably like describing them or something or saying, you know, oh, this and that, like doing something with them. And that's how Jerry blurted out the line. <laughs> also, while we're on the topic of sex, what was the move? Oh, yeah. We, we hear a little bit of it. You know, you're going to need a headboard. You got a headboard? Uh, yes. Is it padded? No. Good. Can't be more than a one foot differential in your height. Otherwise, you can really hurt your neck. <laughs> is there a knuckle involved in any way? <laughs> <laughs> now, the end is an option. I like the swirl. I feel the swirl is a good option. He uses the pinch, which I find a little presumptuous. <laughs> one thing I've always wondered, this is kind of one of those incidents where like a scene gets cut off and you never really find out what happened in that immediate moment. So I always wanted to know what, what happens the exact moment that Peterman finds out that George's secret code is Bosco. Like I, yeah. I want to see his reaction just yeah. to see how things tie together with his mother and stuff. That's great. His name was Costanza. <laughs> Killed my mother. <laughs> um, one small one that I thought of recently while watching this episode was, what do you think George left on Elaine's machine in the maid when she's going through all the, uh, the yes! <laughs> and she keeps deleting them. You know, message three. Hey, it's George. I just wanted to message four. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's George. I got nothing to say. <laughs> At least we're talking about how there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> that sounded urgent. <laughs> One thing we have to talk about is all the siblings on the show that they briefly mention. You know, George men- mentions that he has a brother. Yes. Jerry mentions he has a sister. And Elaine mentions that she has a sister, Gail, in St. Louis. Yes. Yeah, so I've actually heard a really dark theory about um, George's brother. And so in the suicide, we hear George at when he's at the psychics, um, she says, who's Pauline? He goes, Pauline, my brother once impregnated a woman named Pauline. And that's the first time that we really hear about it. So perhaps George decided to call his brother and say and to find out, like, oh, what's the significance of this? Like the psychic told me about Pauline and it sort of triggered something in george's brother and he's actually the suicide victim like mark because martin's suicide never went through he lived but perhaps george's brother was actually the one that committed suicide off screen and then that's why the costanzas just get crazier and crazier because they they haven't dealt with the loss of their other son and they just have george left to deal with wow these some dark theories (laughs) yeah seriously i read i i don't remember where i read that but that's always yeah, stuck. I mean, that is that is interesting. And also on that same subject, what was she going to tell George was going to happen on his trip that she didn't want him to go on the trip? Because we never actually hear it. Couldn't have been the jellyfish. There's I'm not buying that. It's not, it, you know, Kramer got stung by a jellyfish. That's not what it was, because she seemed like she really wanted to tell him something. Yeah. Like, you can't go on that trip, George. Yeah, that was a life or death type of warning. Like, <laughs> do not go. Right. So I just thought that was a that was a big mystery. Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised this one didn't come up yet. Why does Frank Costanza's lawyer wear a cape? 
Well, it's good cape weather. Cool, breezy. Well, perhaps he is a superhero at night because we see him saving Noreen from jumping off the bridge. You know, I'm Frank Costanza's lawyer. Through <laughs> Cape Crusader. Yeah. What about this one? Did George plant the dime in the glasses episode? Oh. Because he eats an onion and he thinks it's an apple. And then he's talking about, he's, you know, I was spotting those raccoons. They were yeah. mailboxes, you idiot. I didn't have the heart to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, too. Why did Jerry wait all that time to tell George? Oh, I didn't have the heart to tell you that they were mailboxes, not raccoons. That doesn't seem like Jerry would do it to spare George's feelings. Definitely not, no. If anything, he would say it, like, right away when they got back. By the way, George. <laughs> but he brings it up in the end. You know, I still think you planted it, and George doesn't really answer. Yeah. I always wondered that. I mean, based on what we were seeing of his vision in that in that episode, you would think that 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 dime was definitely planted, just to prove yeah, a point. Exactly. How about this one? How, how did Kramer become friends with the soup Nazi? That's a great one. Because you look at the time that people have on that line and how they they don't want any chatter at all, like it's in and out. So at what point did Kramer see an opening to? conversate with him to a point where the soup Nazi actually like befriends him. It's true. Well, we don't know the hours of the soup stand. Maybe Kramer was waiting for him one day when he was coming in to open up and he just said, Hey, you know, I understand what, you know, what you're going through. You're, you're this tortured genius that nobody understands. And I don't like that. They call you soup Nazi. And for some reason, you know, he's got Kramer's got the Kavorka. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe it works on guys too, as you know, yeah, I think Kramer just has a way with people, you know. That's just the magic of Kramer. So, Eric, you kind of touched on this one earlier. It was, why did Jerry and Elaine break up in the first place? And then beyond that, moving towards the finale, what was Elaine about to say on the airplane when it seemed like she was about to tell Jerry that she loved him? But it, you you know that's that's not Seinfeld style. Like she definitely wasn't going to say that. She was going to say something else. They just wanted kind of leave that kind of mixed uh kind of ambiguously as far as what she was going to say so something derogatory <laughs> i always wondered that myself because i don't think she was telling him that she loves him it's just not it, it's not how they are with each other maybe she was actually going to say i've always loved united airlines and she was just <laughs> screwing with him <laughs> <laughs> saying that this plays a piece of crap no. I agree. And also in that same scene, George says that he cheated in the contest. But when exactly do you think he cheated in the contest? Do you have any theories about that? Oh, so I believe that there's a scene when it cuts to all of them in bed. And instead of George sort of tossing and turning like Elaine is and Jerry is, he's just lying there staring up at the ceiling with his hands on his chest. And I feel like he's being more pensive and thinking like, oh man, I should I do this? You know, if I do this and I lie about it, will I get away with it? And he's got this look of of guilt and just thinking about should I, you know, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? And I think that's when he broke. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I think George, knowing the liar that he is, was probably cheating throughout. It was it wasn't like a one time thing. He probably just from day one until the end, he was probably cheating the whole time. Yeah, and he ended up being the winner. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we've went through, you know, some of the biggest mysteries of the show. I'll now just kind of like run down the list of some of the other answers I got on my Instagram page real quick. 
So there's uh, what is George's SAT score? Oh yeah. Who got the parking space, Mike or George? <laughs> well, just for that, I I think George deserved it. But yeah, definitely. How did the family get in the sack in sack lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a giant sack. <laughs> What did George tell Jerry in the Serenity now when he's like, I think you scared me straight? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything I'm capable of. <laughs> whatever yes. happened to Kramer's dog? Oh, yeah. Well, also going off the animal theme, whatever happened to little Jerry? Because all you see in the end is, you know, Kramer trying to protect him in the ring, and the dog with the glove on his head is <laughs> pecking at Kramer or Jerry or both of them. It's true. Another one someone wrote was, what was Jerry's comeback to Brett? He's like, uh, you look like you could use a real meal at a solid restaurant. He's oh. like, you look like you could use it, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> we touched on this in the George's Cheapest Moments episode, but it really is one of my favorite George moments. And it is such a gigantic mystery to me is just how did George take that picture at the funeral? How did that happen? Because <laughs> you know he had to fight his way in. And then who, like, how did he explain that? to the person who took the picture, how why he wanted to take a picture next to the coffin. And who agreed to, to take the picture? It's just so, There's just so many questions I have about that scene. I know, and even if he made something up, nobody would have believed him, even if yeah. he was on saying, oh, I just want to do this for one last memory. Like, yeah. <laughs> Compiling who a does scrap- that? Was Jerry violated when he was under the gas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm damaged goods now. <laughs> Another great one that uh, someone messaged me was, does George have a hamster? Oh, yeah. Because he's got the hamster set up in the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. In his apartment, there's a hamster set up in the back against the wall. Another one someone brought up, which I had to go back and watch the episode because I, I, I couldn't even think of the scene, was who are the guys that Jerry is playing poker with in the opposite episode? Oh, yeah. He's just sitting with a random group of guys, and they don't look like comedians or, or people that live in the building. It just It's very odd to see him just sitting with four or five guys that we never see in the series again. And one of the guys... They only have three friends. <laughs> and one of the guys is the, is the actor that played one of the EMTs um, in the alternate side that comes and picks up Owen March. Who put cookies in his mouth? Oh, yeah. That guy. So maybe Jerry Mike got friendly with him through that somehow. <laughs> and he brought his buddies over for poker night. <laughs> There's also uh, whatever happened to crazy Joe Davola. Oh, yeah. You know, after he uh, he jumps from the balcony in the, the pilot <laughs> episode, <laughs> we never see him again. Six supper, Tyrannus! <laughs> <laughs> so before we go, I just wanted to ask you guys, like, are there any mysteries in Seinfeld that they answered the questions to that you're some of your favorites, like you were happy that they gave you an answer at the end of the episode. One of them for me was with the mannequin. The whole time I'm watching that episode, I was thinking two things. I'm like, are we not going to know why Audrey doesn't taste the pie? And are we going to never know where this mannequin comes from? Because it's clearly designed based off a lane. Right. So I just loved that at the end when we see Ricky, (laughs) you know, I call her Elaine. <laughs> I was like, okay, at least we get one one answer out of the two. One mystery solved, yeah. Yeah, for me, it kind of ties back to what we were saying before with the um, with the Bosco, because the episode ends where Peterman's trying to get George to give him the secret code, and then 
you know, obviously he's hesitant to do it. We don't really know exactly how that plays out. But then when it comes back, you get the, you know, short, devious, balding. His name was Costanza. He killed my mother. <laughs> like, so you do have that kind of closure with that, that obviously it did come to light. And, and we just don't know exactly how it played out. But I, I, I like that they at least gave us that that final piece there. Yeah. Um, One that really comes to mind for me is in the non-fat yogurt. When at the end, when Jerry says, oh, well, the yogurt verdict is in fat and they actually prove it and they decide to, you know, thanks for ruining my daddy's business, you fat fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I mean, one one last one I could think of, and maybe it's a good place to end because it is the finale. But whatever happened to the Jerry sitcom? Because they all go to jail. They were there for supposedly a year. Did NBC just kill the entire deal, or, or did it come back after a year when they were out and free? I guess, so that's one I guess we'll never really know. Yeah. And when they got out, did uh, was there still new manium? Were they still invited to the party? <laughs> yeah. Did they still listen to Christopher Cross and have uh, cubed ice with uh, 200 folding tears? <laughs> guess we'll never know. That's right. But this has been a lot of fun. I think we went through some of the greatest mysteries of Seinfeld. And we want to thank you for joining us, Mike. It was so great to see you again. No, thank you guys for having me and running through these Seinfeld mysteries uh, that I've always wondered about. So if there was a place to do it, it, it was the place to be right here. Yeah, yeah no, this was great. <laughs> we'll definitely have you back soon. And um, I'm sure there was a bunch of mysteries that we missed. Maybe we'll do a part two or something or there's other topics that interest you that you'd like to come on for, let us know. We'd be happy to have you. Yeah, yeah I'll absolutely. definitely do that. And thank you guys as always for uh, for having me. It's always a lot of fun. Of course. And I just want to mention before we go, um, Mike has an Instagram account at Seinfeld2020. Be sure to follow it. It's a hilarious account. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll love it. Thanks, Mike. We really appreciate it. Have a good night. Thank you, guys. See you next time. Take All care. Right. Bye. Good night. Thank you for listening to our discussion about the biggest Seinfeld mysteries. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTBSeinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review us. It really helps us out. Until next time, make sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. This jacket has completely changed my life. When I leave the house in this, it's with a whole different confidence. Like tonight, I might have been a little nervous, but inside this jacket, I am composed, grounded, secure that I can meet any social challenge. Can I say one thing to you? And I say this with an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality. Absolutely. It's fabulous. And I'll tell you something else. I'm not even going to ask you. I want to know, but I'm not going to ask. You'll tell me when you feel comfortable. So what was it, 400? 500? Did you pay 500 for this? Over six? can't be seven. Don't, don't tell me you paid $700 for this jacket. Did you pay $700 for this jacket? Is that what you're saying to me? You are sick. Is that what you paid for this jacket? 
Over 700? What did you pay for this jacket? I won't say anything. I want to know what you paid for this jacket. Oh my God! A thousand dollars? You paid a thousand dollars for this jacket. All right, fine. I'm walking out of here right now thinking you paid a thousand dollars for this jacket unless you tell me different. Oh! <laughs>